Welcome to the Modern Data Show, where we explore the latest advancement and insights in the world of data. Today, we have a very special guest, Lauren Balek, who runs Upright Analytics and a leading data consultant and investor. With a company, Lauren and her team are solving the toughest data challenges and empowering data-driven cultures, helping people fall in love with their data. Join us as we dive into dive deep into the mind of a true data expert and learn about cutting-edge solutions and strategies she's bringing into the industry. So sit back and relax and get ready to learn all about the world of modern data with Lauren Balik on the Modern Data Show. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, so uh, Lauren, let's start with a very quick primer on Lauren. Uh, you know, would love to know a little bit more about your journey and how you got into data and your story of starting Upright Analytics. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, in college, I studied uh, economics, um, you know, really fell in love with data there, applying it. You know, I was using everything from MATLAB, learned some SQL, did all that in school. Uh, yeah, I went to the University of Virginia. So it's been about, uh, yeah, like, a, you know, I was doing that a little over 10 years ago now. Uh, so, you know, time, time flies, but, uh, you know, love data, fell in love with it, graduated, and then got into sales. <laughs> Which is, uh, uh, you know, my first job out of school, I was selling uh, software and, you know, uh, working at a tech startup, selling, you know, mobile messaging software, nothing to do with data, not applying the things I uh, like to do at all. And it was a very, um, very interesting learning experience. I, I really learned about the tech startup space and everything. But uh, after about a year, I, you know, I had to get back into it. Um you know, rather than prospecting people and doing the phone calls and, you know, doing, I guess what, like, you know, today we call them SDRs, uh, doing that type of job right out of school, uh, you know, got back into data. I've worked with organizations over the last decade or so from, you know, some of the biggest names in the world, the Fortune 500s, large electronics companies, uh, all the way down to tech startups, have seen, you know, the rise of Tableau, the fall of Tableau. The rise of the cloud data warehouse, the what might be the start of the fall of the cloud data warehouse now. Um, so you know, I've seen it all. Um, I like to be pretty pragmatic, keep my uh, you know head screwed on right about things, and separate you know buzz terms from actually providing customer value. Uh, two very different things. And yeah, at Upright Analytics, um, you know, run a very small lean team. I would say over the last year and a half, we have mostly just been doing open heart surgery is how I uh, describe it. And so if you've ever seen the movie like Pulp Fiction, uh, you know, uh, they have to call in the wolf at one point to clean up a big mess. Uh, so, you know, they, they call up the wolf. The wolf comes in. You know, you go over here. You don't say anything. First we clean this. Then we clean this. Then fix this up. And... You know, I've been doing that for, uh, I've been running my company for a few years now, but last year and a half has been a lot of that. And I think it's a function of a lot of the over-eagerness, over-spend, um, maybe not hiring people in the right roles. It's a function of a lot of things, but that's what we do. Um, and, you know, work with organizations large and small. Amazing. And let's address the elephant in the room. You know, you're not a big fan of modern data stack. You already mentioned Tableau is dead. You already mentioned, you know, Cloudvirus is about to be dead. Let's, before we go into that, first help, you know, let's, let's, bring, let's be on the same page. What's your definition of the modern data stack? 
which modern data stack we are talking about. Yeah, I mean, when I say the modern data stack, and I think what it, uh, you know, what most people think of is the idea of, you know, centralized cloud data warehouse that operates as the compute center uh, and single source of truth uh, around which sit, you know, outcomes that range from, uh, you know, potentially machine learning, usually it's analytics and BI, uh, and, you know, there's a heavy lean towards, I think, SaaS applications that plug in uh, versus, you know, coding, uh, you know, especially, you know, when you see like ingestion jobs, ETL. So there's definitely lean towards that. And so that's what I would define as the modern data stack. Um, I can put the lake house in there, you know, some of the things that are going on with a lake house type architecture. But, you know, I think it's all kind of the same at the end of the day. This story sounds good, right? You know, you have the central data warehouse where you have the central source of a business knowledge and then you build applications like the data applications on the top of that to be able to support business decision. What's wrong with this? What's what is fundamentally uh, what's fundamentally wrong with the modern data stack or where do you think modern data stack failed to deliver? Yeah, well, I think. Um, if we look, you know, just broad lens, if we take off our, you know, engineering or analyst hats and, and just look at the broader um, state of, of, you know, how did we get here? What's happening, et cetera. The whole thing is based on, you know, the NRR or NDR net dollar retention of, you know, Snowflake, Databricks, Google Cloud, uh, you know, BigQuery uh, and the Google Cloud ecosystem. It, it's all based on the net dollar retention of uh, these compute centers. So you store your data, then you do stuff with it. You know, you make DAGs, you make, uh, you know, SQL statements, et cetera, in a variety of different ways. And because like, like if you look at, and this is broader than just the modern data stack, you can look at like, you know, monitoring and observability stuff that are, uh, you know, in the broader engineering world and broader infrastructure uh, world, like Datadog, HashiCorp, they all have great NDRs. Uh, they all have great, you know, every year, you know, from the previous period to this period, customers are spending, you know, 130% more, 140%. I think Snowflake's gotten up to like, you know, 178%. So these customers are spending more and more every year on a lot of these cloud products. I mean, when we're talking about the modern data stack, uh, you know, we're talking about the compute centers here. And, and no one has actually ever like brought this up that I think, but like, if you talk about like, you know, if you have a credit card and you're paying 30% interest on it, that's a bad credit card. Like you're getting, you're getting like screwed over a little bit by the credit card company. It's high interest. And if you compare the net dollar retention uh, of what some of these um, companies are, uh, and, and let's be honest, it all centers around the compute center of the cloud warehouse and the modern data stack world. That's what drives everything else forward. And so I think right off the bat, like there's a little bit of, I don't know, maybe a misplaced incentive around like, you know, what, um, what customer success looks like versus how much a customer is paying. Uh, and there's a lot of incentives that may not line up uh, with perfect, you know, customer value in that second year, in that third year uh, versus what they're paying. Okay. And 
what do you think is the biggest culprit of this are these this is the data warehouse itself or the ingestion pipelines that is dumping insane amount of uh, you know data into the warehouse and this whole shift from you know etl to elt what's the main culprit there yeah well the, the you know rebranding etl as elt is is funny because that's just it just moves the uh you know in, instead of you know processing the data i don't know in spark or wherever you're going to process it beforehand or defining your schema you're just dumping it into somewhere else and then defining it later so they own the compute there um but you know overall i think the main culprit in this is that a lot of companies um aren't educated on like what it actually looks like to succeed and you know snowflake for all the great things that they've done and in google cloud as well uh, with bigquery they really lowered the bar uh, and lowered the entry point of what it takes for a company to get started uh you know they want the data now they want uh you know to build some analytics they want to build some reports and things and that is um you know that's great but if you don't design stuff correctly up front you know you're basically taking a payday loan at 30% interest uh or in the case of snowflake i don't know what what are they 60% ndr or something you're taking a 60% uh loan on average and uh 60% like interest and and this adds up like it adds up in the second year it adds up in the third year a lot of it comes down to sequel like what we've seen here is you know the rise of sequel the last couple of years sequel is easier to learn than like an object oriented programming language uh you know using declarative sequel to define your data schema uh in snowflake in a database yeah it works fine it works great if you're not writing uh optimal sequel and you're doing things like joining on high cardinality data um that can add up very quickly if you're doing like looping functions or nested loops in sequel that's going to add up and and a lot of people don't think about this but i really like think a lot more like both individual contributors data directors managers need to think about this more about the exponential growth like you know if you're running some kind of function you know right now like it can cost you like i don't know one snowflake credit next period it can cost you two snowflake credits when your volume goes up and you're running it again now if you're doing it linear it should take you three it costs you three credits next time but if it's growing exponentially it's not going to cost you three it's going to cost you four and then next time it's going to cost you eight you're going to double it every time because you're making all of these you know n squared uh types of solutions and i've seen this pretty constantly um and the same with like you know indexing data um or you know figuring out uh you know how data is partitioned um like a lot of basic stuff falls by the wayside because of the desire to move fast and moving fast is good um and moving fast is you know the name of the game for a lot of these tech companies the last few years when it's all been run 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 uh but now you know it's time to uh, optimize a little bit and you know i even wrote a piece recently on on my medium about you know snowflake is a table game of uh, the google cloud uh, ecosystem is a casino and you know if we're talking about things that are you know wrong or maybe look off like one of the funniest things here and, and i love google i actually like bigquery a lot and i like their ecosystem um you know i like all their solutions and use them all the time but uh one thing i've gone <laughs> throughout my career is with these tech companies like they'll start using google analytics 
they'll start doing Google paid ads. And like that, if they're in consumer, like they're selling a consumer good to individuals, they're definitely using Google ads, Facebook ads, everything else. Um, Google ones can be big. Same with some, you know, B2B. But uh, they're using all these Google, they're paying Google lots of money for all these like applications, Firebase uh, for their app. And they're collecting all kinds of data. And they get to a certain point when they say, wow, I'm spending so much money on Firebase and Google ads. Like, why are we spending so much on Google ads? We shouldn't be paying Google so much money. Like, we need to get our, you know, CACs improved, our customer acquisition costs. We shouldn't be, we should be targeting better customers. And so then what do they do? Well, everything plugs in nicely to Google uh, Cloud Platform, like all of Google's products. So then they hire machine learning, analytics, data engineering to work on Google Cloud. They get their CACs down. They might pay Google ads less money, but now they're paying Google, uh, like BigQuery and Google Cloud more. So Google, even though Google goes down over here on the ads, they go up on uh, you know what they're taking out of these companies on uh, on the compute side of, of putting together you know uh, dashboards, machine learning, everything else. Uh, to improve what they're spending on, you know, other Google products. And I think that's just really funny uh, overall. And I think a lot of people have not thought about that fully, but uh, it's definitely like what the game is. Uh, so, you know, very funny stuff. Yes. Yeah, so isn't that an argument in favor of the modern data stack where you're kind of essentially, you know, unbundling, uh, you know, a lot of these functions into kind of composable elements where, you know, you're giving the people actually a good amount of control in terms of how they want their data stack to be. You're giving them more control and at scale, it works. If you're a big enough company, you can get good cost savings out of this. Most companies are not that big. If you're like, you know, selling e-commerce, like if you only have a million customers or 2 million or 5 million customers, like actual humans out there uh, who've ever like actually completed an order with, um, you know, whoever completed an order with your business and become, you know, what's defined as a customer. Like if you're operating at a level that small, you're probably overspending on data. If you're really trying to tinker with these margins and fix your Google ads and fix, you know, everything else there. If you have a hundred million customers, if you're, you know, uh, McDonald's or I don't know, Ford motor company or somebody then yes, it would make sense to, uh, you know, potentially, um, you know, take this on and, and do all this uh, analytics to, you know, tinker with, I don't know if those companies are on Google, but, you know, to tinker with, you know, what you're spending on Google uh, by using Google Compute to do it. Right. And this this also raises a kind of a parallel question in terms of what are your thoughts on build versus buy? So basically what you're saying is companies rush in, in terms of buying managed services to kind of get that initial friction out and kind of get started with thing. But that kind of turns out to be a very costly mistake in the long run. But at the same time, you know, the kind of engineering efforts and the development that you need, need to require that is kind of non-core to what you're doing as a business isn't that counterproductive? Like you, you take the example of e-commerce company. Why would an e-commerce company, you know, with less than a million users or, or whatever scale that you would define, would invest resources in terms of building an internal data platform versus actually focusing on resources building that business itself? Isn't that a counter argument? 
Well, what you have to look at with these types of things is like there's three there's three factors at play here in, in what the cost is. There's um, you know your cloud costs, you know, your storage, your compute of data. There's all the products you may want to add on to it or not. Maybe if you want to open source stuff, you're not going to pay. Um, if you want to pay for a bunch of SaaS applications, you can pay there. And then there's the HR costs. Um, you know the uh, human resources like headcount costs. And when you, you know, when when you have one go up, you should have the other go down. Uh, so if you're paying, uh, if you hire more people, your cloud costs should go down because people can spend time optimizing. And if you're hiring more people, like maybe you know you shouldn't be using so many SaaS applications because if you're hiring good people, they can build something and maybe it's more efficient. Um, but what we've seen here in the last couple of years is companies are spending lots of money on extra heads. Like, you know, the data team was two people. Now it's six people. Now it's eight people. And they're using all these applications uh, to move data around in various ways. ETL, reverse ETL, you know, uh, manage all the tables. We could do a whole bit on on the proliferation of tables. Uh, and so they're spending money in, in, in these three different buckets. And I don't think... Like, you know, people talk about build versus buy. Well, the benefit of, of building is, you know, you have ownership over your data more and, and you have more control, but you're also probably going to have to hire more people to do it or hire more expensive people anyways to do it. And right now we see expensive people, we see a lot of SaaS apps, and we see cloud costs going up. Uh, so all three are going up. Uh, and that's, you know, that's been the, the challenge. Right. And, you know, if you go to uh, modern data stack.xyz, you know, we have this page where we list on the various categories that are there within the modern data stack, you know, just our interpretation of those categories. Uh, there are roughly around 28 or 30 different categories out there. And that seemed to annoy you. <laughs> that, that seemed to annoy you, right? And uh, two questions there. One is, what is that one good thing that you really believe came out of this whole, you know, the modern data stack revolution that happened in past couple of years? What is that one true thing that, you know, it's not a vendor-driven narrative, it's not a VC-driven narrative. That's one thing that really the world needed and, you know, bam, someone solved it. Yeah, I think a lot of people have learned SQL uh, pretty well. And I think a lot of people who may have, you know, their title may have been like marketing ops or sales ops, but now they're, I don't know, a data engineer or data scientist or analytics engineer or something. Like a lot of people have been more educated on data. Um, that's for sure. And, you know, I think that's a good thing. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say the number one, uh, you know, best thing that's come out of this is, is a lot of people have gotten uh, more educated. And the funny part about the categories too is, you know, you think about what's core, like, well, you start with, um, you know, what do you need to do to do data at your company? Well, you need to collect data somehow, uh, you know, in the most simple way, it could be an Excel sheet of all your orders. And then you want to make a chart and look at orders over day or time or something. Um, but uh, the more categories you build, like it all kind of like pyramids up, like, yes, in the modern data stack, everyone, let's say, has you know, a Snowflake or a BigQuery or Databricks or whatever. They've got a BI tool and they've got some way to get data in. So they've got one, two, three. They've got the whole pipe there. Then you move one step. Like of those customers, some of them also have now observability 
now or reliability or whatever you want to call it. Now some of them have a catalog on top of that. So like, but that's even smaller number. And so, you know, you get up to the point where, you know, um, it really turns into like, you know, this dependency ladder because like a lot of these like observability, for example, if they're just for the cloud, like they're not going to have more customers than there are customers like using a cloud data warehouse, right? Like that, that number is always going to be high, equal to or higher, like by default. And so the more assumptions you have to make about these categories and what's already in place and how big the team needs to be and how complex it is, um, the more, you know, it kind of gets uh, riskier as an investment and, you know, maybe not something that's considered necessary. And maybe the TAM, the total addressable market or the total serviceable market um, is a lot smaller than people think. Fair enough. And you consult a lot of companies ranging from startups to, you know, Fortune 500 companies in terms of, you know, kind of building a data strategy for them, right? If, if, if that would be the right term for that. Uh, what's your typical advice for them? Like, for example, let's, let's take a scenario. You know, you have this, you know, early stage company kind of who have just started to hit the scale. You know, they come to you and say, fine, you know, we have, we have found that initial product market fit as a company, you know, whatever we are building as a business has started to catch off. And now we need to start leveraging data to be able to grow even further. What's your advice? What's your, what's your typical journey that you would take on with a customer in terms of helping themselves understand what do they actually need? So what, what would be a typical flow for you? Yeah. So, um, Initially, it's what actually matters to the business in the next quarter and six months. Like that's like what matters. And in the last couple of years, you know, with uh, the way the economy's been and, and the way you know uh, VC incentives work and, and the way these startup incentives work, it's all been grow. We don't have to worry about margin too much. Let's just grow. And so you know, you see all these growth roles. Like other like companies have like director of growth growth ops, you know, and these people are doing a lot of like ads and other growth hacking types of things to put in place. So if that's what's important is getting a growth metric to get to that next round of financing or to, you know, get to, um, you know, that next stage you want to get to, then it's going to be a growth initiative. Now with a lot of larger businesses that, you know, um, you know, have been around a while and are not, you know, they've either gone past the VC game of growth or, you know, they're just, you know, financed by the cash uh, they collect and, and by debt sometimes, uh, you know, plus any equity finance that they have, but, but aren't, aren't VC companies like these companies um, they care about their margin and they care about operational excellence. And for them, like it would be, you know, improving like CAC uh, would be a very important thing. Uh, that comes up pretty constantly as it relates to growth. Uh, another would be like these types of businesses, you know, when people talk about centralization, modern data stack, et cetera, a lot of these businesses that have been around for a while and like have over a thousand, 2000 people, um, you know, independent of industry, like they're going to have some databases over here. They're going to have some databases over there. They might be running a good, like, you know, they may have a good analyst who only works with Salesforce data and marketing data. And none of that's really connected to the product data. Like, like it, it, a lot of these larger businesses, and I think 
when people talk about like, you know, how is things like at a different company versus my company where I work? Like a lot of these larger companies, they actually have something that resembles a data mesh in place a little bit. Um, and they, you know, often have like decentralized analysts and they, you know, typically are able to serve themselves um, decently. And, you know, something like, you know, all right, let's stuff everything in Snowflake or let's stuff it all into Redshift or whatever. That is something that they're not going to want to do uh, just because they're, they're already humming along and they're already, um, you know, very much, uh, you know, delivering on things and, uh, you know, good enough works uh, for these types of companies. Right. And if not modern data stack, what's the way forward? What do you think is the way forward? Well, I think for a lot of these, like a lot of these, because the bar has been lowered to run an OLAP database in the cloud, um, that's going to stay. And that's a good, you know, way for these small companies that are growing, maybe VC funded uh, to get started and get some data, you know, in place and start delivering on some dashboards. And it shouldn't be the earliest thing you do. Uh, but it should be, you know, maybe when you get to 50 or 100 people, um, somewhere around there, like that's when you should start, like, you know, pulling this together. Um, so, you know, the for those types of companies, I think this is going to stay, uh, you know, an operating paradigm that exists for the next couple of years. And for larger companies, I think it's going to stay decentralized, like it always has been. And trying, like, trying to force centralization of data um and 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 centralizing it out of a line of business is i think a, a mistake in most cases and it's just uh, there's going to be a lot of failed projects uh, that happen uh, as this you know attempts to move up market more would you see a consolidation happening in the modern days stack you know last year was debundling what do you see a bundling in the modern data stack so i think there's already a lot of bundled solutions out there um you know, there's like Kabula, for example, you can do orchestration in it. You can do, uh, you know, your ingestion, you can manage, you know, the flow of data in and out uh, of Snowflake or whatever you want. Um, same with a bunch of other solutions. Reverie is one. Nexla is a great one. Um, they have a lot of good enterprise customers. And so when people talk about like these companies, like, you know, reverse ETLs, and ETL companies and everything else, you know, merging or acquiring each other. I don't think that's going to happen because they're all way too expensive. They're all valued at like $500 million or more. And, you know, outside of Fivetran and some of the BI tools, most of these companies are under $20 million in revenue. So you're not going to buy them for their revenue or their customer base, really. And if you're not going to buy them for the customer base, well, okay, we, you know, may have a complimentary feature, but you would just build that yourself. Um, so I, I don't actually like see this scenario of like these companies, you know, buying one another and consolidating that way. I think that like, you know, the Kabulas, the Ascends, the Nexlas, the Riveries that already do multiple things, they're just going to rise more and more. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen to a lot of these you know, modern data stack companies. Uh, like, they all raised a lot of money in 2021 and 2020. And 
you know, a lot of them have dozens to hundreds of employees, you know, uh, Fivetran makes a lot of money. Uh, some of the BI tools make, you know, in the tens of millions or, or hundreds of millions. Um, but everybody else, like they're going to run out of cash by the end of the year. And so they're either going to have to like do a down round and, you know, basically put all their employees underwater uh, or they're just, you know, going to have to like start letting people go. And I think we're probably a couple of months away from that. Like if you just look at the employees, like employees are a big expense. Uh, and a lot of these companies, like if you're paying on average an employee 200,000 US dollars a year with their salary insurance, the insurance you pay on them uh, and multiply that out, you know, by, you know, you have a hundred employees, you have 200 employees, you can pretty much see how the cash is burning down in that organization. Uh, and if they're not making the revenue to cover that and they're not raising new money, then I don't know what's going to happen. I think they're going to have to make some tough decisions here. Let's just hope that doesn't happen. You know, ho- hope there is a happy way out here. But uh, uh, as we inch closer towards the end of the episode, there's another interesting thing that I just would love, want to talk to you about is, you know, I saw in one of your articles about the impact of GPT-3 on tech workers. So big question. What impact do you think, you know, GPT-3 or these large language models would have on, you know, data on the data industry? What what are the things that you see, you know, are the most obvious ones to you? Yeah. So the most obvious here um, is, you know, writing SQL um, that queries into an established model. And what I mean by model is like the word model has gotten like kind of misused in the last couple of years, I think by data science, analytics, engineering, et cetera. But to query into like this data mart, state of model, whatever you want to call it, um, that makes a lot of sense. And it makes sense because if you've defined the entities, this is a customer, this is uh, a transaction, this is this type of transaction. If it's all well-defined, um, there's no reason that like, you know, GPT-4, when that's released later this year, GPT-5 after that, there's no reason that like this code is not going to uh, be able to be generated uh, very successfully with maybe only a mild amount of handholding. But the entity resolution piece is, is where the money is because you can go on chat GPT-3 right now and say, like, what is the female population in New York state. And because, you know, New York state, all the states are well-defined public data, the population that's female, they can come up with an answer very quickly because those entities are well-defined and they're public. Now, if you go into a business and say, how many orders did we do? Um, And what was our, you know, net operating profit last quarter? Now you have all these metrics and these entities that have to be defined and I still think that's going to have a human element in building that uh, for the next couple of years. Yeah, because, you know, you have orders underscore one table, order underscore two table, order underscore, underscore final table. So, uh, yeah. Okay, that's 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 very interesting. So, uh, I think so we're seeing quite early results from, you know, this whole natural language processing to SQL generation. And I think so the bigger problem is not just the ability to generate SQL from tricks. I think so that's kind of a solved problem and that kind of works really well. I think so the bigger question, as you rightly said, is how do you kind of 
organize this knowledge that is there within an organization to be able to actually understand where to actually query this data. So that's a fair point. Anything other than this, then you see in specifically for the data teams on, on the applications of the large language models. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, GitHub Copilot uh, is going to continue to um, spread in popularity. Uh, it was kind of controversial. I know Amazon, uh, I, w- I don't think it was AWS. I think it was the Amazon's retail side of the house. I think they actually banned uh, Copilot because they were concerned about what code was, you know, potentially being collected by, by GitHub, which is owned by Microsoft. So, you know, there'll be a little bit of stuff to watch there. But I think that if the automations uh, really save so many like human working hours, then it's only going to continue. And I know plenty of people who, um, you know, are saving half their time or more um, already using this. Amazing. So as a closing thought, so what what would be your, you know, prediction for the, you know, and more, more than prediction, what would be your, uh, you know, top three insights for, for the data teams for this next year? You know, what are those, those top three things that you would advise, you know, data teams, companies who have, you know, built out the data functions over the next year? One, one obvious one is, as you've rightly said, is cost, you know, people would start to think about how they're spending on, you know, warehouse or, you know, ETL credits and so on and so forth. What would be those things for you? Yeah, I mean, and that's one, uh, I think, uh, and, and the human costs are what's mostly expensive, right? And so that's why we're seeing so many layoffs. Um, so I would, you know, advise people and advise anyone listening, like if you're, you know, a data scientist, data engineer, analytics engineer, like really figure out like, you know, where do you fit into the company? Like I've talked about like a lot of these data jobs have become human middleware. You're kind of like, you're not on the application side. You're just kind of in the middle. You're not doing analytics. You're just kind of in the middle. The more in the middle you are, the worse off your situation might be. So I would encourage people to think about that. I think uh, we're going to see the rise of like ops. And so the last, you know, decade we've seen developers, 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 um, you know, dev tools, you know, make a tool that does this thing and you can turn this knob over here and it's open source and we have a community around it. And we've seen this everywhere, not just in the data world, but uh, much more broadly. And I think that like a lot, as a lot of these companies rethink this, a lot of these developers are just doing ops. Um, They're just doing operational things. And a lot of data, especially, is really just operations. And the more steps and the more tools and the more people you have to get a number on a dashboard, uh, if someone can come in and do that um, better and do that with, you know, retool or Airtable or, you know, instead of a database and a BI tool, they're going to win because they're going to be cheaper and they're going to get it done more efficiently. And I think we already see this. Uh, and I think the last one is like, I would encourage every company to do an audit of how many tables they have in their cloud data warehouse. And this is where the costs add up because every table you add, um, if you have a medallion architecture where you have like a staging, then you have another layer, then you have like the final layer, the production layer, uh, gold, silver, or bronze, or, you know, it's called a number of different things. How many tables do you actually have ingested uh, and how normalized is it? Because one of the big trends like was, you know, your OLTP would be normalized um, and then you would ETL it and then your OLAP uh, would be denormalized to serve uh, reporting uh, and BI and analytics and everything. And we've moved away from that. Now we're just copying things from an OLTP to an OLAP 
from different endpoints that come off of APIs, just bring it in denormalized and then rolling it back up. And if you look at costs um, and look at like efficiency and where, where your team's time is being spent, the more you make more tables and then roll them back up, a lot of that's wasted time. Uh, and so I think a lot of people have realized that and have started to move to more, you know, denormalized uh, structures as, as a goal and like as a first goal uh, when they're building out their, you know, Snowflake, BigQuery, what, whatever else. Interesting. Thank, thank you so much for, for that, uh, you know, lovely piece of advice. And thank you so much for this whole amazing conversation, Lauren. It was such a pleasure to have you here on the show. And I hope, you know, we all learned uh, quite a few things from this episode. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.